0: Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Andrew Doyle and joining me tonight we have the pleasure of the urbane, sophisticated and multi-talented Diane Spencer. And the, well, it's Nick Dixon. How are you both? Now
1: look, (laughs) Nick, Nick, you have made an effort,
0: haven't you? You look very sharp today. I think it's because Diane's looking particularly sharp. It's
1: because I got dissed for wearing my black t-shirt all the time, which I was wearing out of a kind of... You know, comfort. It's Uh, too cash. It's too cash for the news. It means that the the viewer doesn't trust your judgment. Yeah, but whatever I do, I still get insulted in the intros. Have you noticed that? Uh, That's going straight to HR. Only because you're so robust. How are you, Diane?
2: Oh, I'm grand, thank you. I had my wedding anniversary at the weekend. Did you? I did. Am
0: I allowed to ask how long it's been?
2: Six glorious years.
0: Wonderful. Still going okay?
2: Oh, you? my God, it's amazing. You're still in the
0: sweet spot. It's after 10 that it starts to decline. <laughs> well, you, she, she, could have, she could have meant six glorious years and, like, two okay ones. <laughs> she, could have been, she wasn't specific, to be fair. Anyway, uh, let's uh, go through tomorrow's newspaper headlines. These are the front covers. We're going to start with the Daily Mail which has saved us from the £100 tank of fuel, Rishi. And this, of course, is uh, the rising fuel prices not helped by a certain conflict overseas. Then we're going to move on to the Daily Telegraph there. Police leave 999 callers hanging. All forces but one missed targets to answer phones in 10 seconds in the wake of the pandemic. On to the independent now. Families struggle as food prices rise Up by 50%. We're going to be covering that later on, but that's more on the cost of living crisis. There's also an image there of some of the travel misery for the thousands of people stranded at Heathrow. Not a good time to go on holiday. Then The Guardian, PM's sudden lurch to right fuels anger of Tory rebels. That's an odd one, isn't it? I would have thought the windfall tax is rather a left-wing move. But nevertheless, we're going to be exploring that in a bit as well. On to the FT now. The Financial Times has Qualcomm seeks arm investment alongside rivals to spur neutrality. I'm going to be absolutely honest. I have no idea what that means. We're going to move on to the (laughs) the Times now. Getaways at risk as chaos blames on airline cuts. Ministers condemn unacceptable delays. The Sun now, Andy Carroll, back on the front cover. We can't get him off it at the moment. Andy Carroll didn't score, apparently. Well, that's not what I've heard. Anyway, let's move on to the metro. Wish we weren't here. It's half-term holiday chaos with airports in meltdown. I hope you're not stuck in the middle of any of that. Those are your front covers. So let's get straight into it, shall we? Uh, Nick, you've got some information about Tuesday's Guardian and maybe this is a good time to go on the Atkins. What do you think?
1: Well, yes, it's perfect for me because I'm on calorie restriction, but let's not make light of it because it's a very serious story. Pasta, bread and crisps among biggest UK budget food price increases. So the Office for National Statistics has worked out that these basic food items are rising far higher than the rate of inflation. So the pasta jumped uh, 50% uh, crisps up 17%, bread 16%, minced beef 16%, rice 50. You think it'd be flour or something that we're and There's probably some sort of bad joke I could make there, but it's about the the point is it's very hard to survive on a on a on a, on a budget because all yes. basic goods are going up. Well, this is the point, isn't it? All of this stuff always seems to
0: hit the poor. Again and again. And and why is it that the lowest cost goods are the ones that are subject to the highest rise? That doesn't make sense.
2: Well, what's interesting is that um, potatoes are falling. So grab your potatoes now. They're down by 14%. However, crisps...
0: Up. Right. Right? That doesn't make sense.
2: Well, it does, because if you think about it, crisps also require carbon dioxide, don't they? They uh, require that to go inside the crisp packet, and of course we know there has been a massive kind of global shortage with that. Yes. So it's all about all the different things that go into making the product, but you're right, it's disproportionately affecting uh, it is, I
0: mean, Who was the minister who recently got in trouble for suggesting that there's a way to, to live on a very small budget? And he was talking about precisely these kind of things, pastas and potatoes and, uh, and big bags of rice that you could get. But apparently not, because they're being hit by inflation more than, any, than anything.
1: Yeah, the Tory uh, MP, he was, he got in, he'd actually come from quite a poor background. He got yes. in trouble because he was saying you can make your own meals with fresh ingredients. Other people are saying you can't. Yeah. And that's what this sort of implies. I mean, you still probably, it's still probably cheaper than, than fast food, I suppose, but it's by no means cheap. Yeah, no. Is
2: it Lee something? It
1: like, was Lee something, yes. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm getting a Lee, I get it. He's northernly he like Let's food just leave banks. it at
1: Lee. I think people will know it's what we're
0: talking bad. about. That's I rigorous to... journalism for you. <laughs> I know him as Lee because we're both from the north. Oh, right. So we, both, we call each other first. I head. would suggest that we don't invoke politicians unless we know they're full now. <laughs> because be it. it makes us look a bit ill-informed.
2: You don't think we should put a glass upside down on the table and wait for it to move?
0: <laughs> I know you want this show to be a seance, Diane, but we're not going into your dark, <laughs> occult ways.
1: The problem is, Andrew, and we've got a story about this later, but they're just going to use this to try and make you eat bugs. They are. We are going to talk about that later. later. I'm
0: being told that it's actually Lee Anderson, Uh, so your psychic intuition wasn't working. Anyway, let's move on now. Tuesday's Express next, and while Boris Johnson has been focused on pounds and ounces, perhaps he should have been keeping an eye on pounds and dollars,
2: Diane. Well, uh, according to the Express, uh, the sterlings fall from grace. British pound faces existential crisis.
0: Blimey, that sounds serious.
2: Oh, it's massively serious. The pound, she doesn't know what to do with herself. She's having a midlife crisis. She's thinking, do I get a boob job? Do I turn up to pick up the kids from school with bunches in my hair? She's lost her mind.
0: What's actually happening here?
2: Well, what's happened is that we have got back one of our favourite characters from Pandemic One. We've got back... Rishi lockdown version. So we've right. got lockdown Rishi. And lockdown Rishi, he just makes it rain all the time. Yes. And he's like, hey, guys, 37 million billion for the budget. Woo!
0: Well, th- I mean, they're saying here that the the, 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 the actually the pound is really what he said, but they're saying. It's the third worst performing global currency this year. Are you suggesting it's because that Rishi has been a bit too... Lacks. They've been printing too much money.
2: Well, yeah, well, the, the whole kind of crux of this article is that uh, you've got um, a discombobulation between sort of Rishi there sort of uh, splashing making the it and yep. making it rain. But And the Bank of England, instead of kind of coming down hard, it can't rain in the inflation because Rishi is just pumping money out there to try and compensate for all these... Uh, fuel prices. Yes. Okay. And the bank so, can't contain it. Is
0: this not inevitable, though, Nick? I mean, you know, we are in the, a global recession, aren't we? So this is not something that we can necessarily do all that much about.
1: Yeah, it's not clear to me as, as a non-financial expert if it was to do with, the, with global forces, if it was to do with the pandemic lockdown spending, as Diane said. I do, I do notice there's a sort of war on between the government and the Bank of England. People I know at the Bank of England hate this government. They cite their incompetence and the government has little stabs back at the Bank of England. Or well, in this case, it's the Bank of America citing the increasingly challenging Bank of England communication. And I do know Andrew, Andrew Bailey apparently is quite an impressive and serious person from people I know who've worked with him. But he did say that he was helpless against inflation, which worried me the other day, because yeah. sort of, it's kind of their job, isn't it? But I don't <laughs> want to diss them too much, because, you know... Yeah, goodness, you know people who've worked with Andrew Bailey, and you know people who've worked at the Bank of England, you're very well connected. Well, yeah, that's why I'm sort of careful about how I talk about them, because I know they work very hard. Yes, of course. Even though, ideologically, I'm probably against them well, in some the, way.
0: Let, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to Tuesday's Times, where something we've never b- before heard on this show, Boris has been asked to resign. This is brand new. Brand new information. Yes. Except that everyone's been asking him to resign over the past few weeks.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of it. This one comes from former Attorney General uh, Jeremy Wright, who is the MP for Kenilworth and Southern. And he... Now, he's written this long statement about why Boris should resign, and I've uh, read it, so you don't have to. We should say first, he is a Remainer. He was, as I believe, as I understand, sacked in Boris Johnson's first cabinet. So oh, so he's got a grudge? There has been talk of that, Andrew, okay. amongst some media channels. So basically what he does, he goes to... It's a very long... and uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you the highlights from it, because I've actually got it printed out. He, he, he talked about Sue Gray, and he said there's nothing in the report to make him change his mind that Boris could have genuinely and reasonably believed he didn't break the rules. So he's okay. Right. He's sticking with that. He's saying there's nothing to suggest that. However, he does say that he was negligent and that's, that's quite important. He also says that he doesn't think people would be behaving like this if they seriously thought the Prime Minister would have a big problem with it. So he's suggesting that Boris set the culture. and well, that's, that's also come out of the Sue Gray report, though, let's be fair. I mean, the Sue Gray
0: report did conclude that the tone has to be set by the leader, right? Mm. Yeah. So, so you know, she has levelled the responsibility squarely at Johnson, so it's not unreasonable, is it, for him to do the same?
1: Right. He says, I find it inconceivable that senior officials and advisers would have tolerated, facilitated and even encouraged the breaking of Covid rules if they believe the Prime Minister would have been horrified and outraged by that. So, OK. So, but the, the interesting part, those are are kind of slightly, to me, the less interesting parts, where it gets interesting is that his concern, he claims, is that he's worried this will undermine authority in the government in future, and that's why he says he has to go. He says, I fear these events have done real and lasting damage to the reputation not just of this government, but the institutions and authority of government more generally. Yes. And he talks about it's of fundamental importance that when the government basically has to ask people to do things in the greater good, again, so-called, that they will do it. Now, the strange thing for me is that I I sort of want to have a leader who doesn't have the authority to uh, enforce lockdowns. So people on my side kind of like Boris in the sense that he's lost the moral authority to impose a lockdown. I know it's a strange argument. But well, that you want a leader who is incapable of leading? Well, call me an anarchist. No, I, I will I, call you an anarchist. I want you're an anarchist. To, I want to reduce the power of, of government in general. You're yeah, a so very
2: neat what, anarchist. Thank you. Yeah, you what are, you're, saying?
1: you're not dressed sufficiently <laughs> in, a, in a way this, that an
0: anarchist would. This is how we look now. We've moved on. But, um,
2: you can't see what he's wearing under the table. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but, um,
0: Maybe I don't want to. I, the point it's is... He, it, no, but this is, a, this is an interesting point. that You're saying that the, effectively as well, this uh, situation and the Sugray report has been spun opportunistically by Johnson's enemies. I mean, you've got here in this article Sir Robert Sims, who's effectively also, you know, saying that he's lost all authority, but he's invoking specifically the windfall tax, saying, I don't like this windfall tax. That's what a left wing government would do. So people are sort of hooking their various grievances about Johnson onto the Sugray report. Am I wrong?
2: Uh, no, you're not wrong at all. Uh, I just find it absolutely uh, flabbergasting, really. When the report came out, I loved it. All pages of it. All <laughs> you all enjoyed the photocopies. it. You oh. devoured it. Oh, I did. I was like sat there, I had my Grazia, my Subra report, <laughs> my Vogue. I just had a Your lovely time. Jackie Collins. <laughs>
0: it's, of, it's of an ilk, isn't it? So, but tell me this. I mean, I'm confused about this because this article is saying, you know, well, now there have been roughly, what, 27 MPs calling him on him to quit. The Guardian's front cover today is talking about how they, there are suspicions that they've reached. The 54 letters to the 1922 committee that would be required to call a leadership contest. So, if that is the case, isn't it the case that Boris Johnson is now on the ropes?
2: Well, it's exponential growth. If it is, if it went from 27 to 54 overnight. I'm just saying is- well, the, guard-
0: the Guardian is reporting. <laughs> They're suggesting that. Yeah. Well, no, these are just rumours. This is just hearsay. So, is we know he for on sh- the ropes? Well, we know for sure there's been 22 letters right? So, you know, which is quite a lot. You need to get to 54. Right. Uh, And there are lots of people who are umming and ahhing about whether they submit the letter. To get a single letter isn't a good look for a leader.
1: For balance, I would say there were letters submitted before. Some people took them back, you know, a few months ago, before the Sue Gray report, some people gave in their letters or talked about it, and some even gave them in and retracted them. I think Andrew Bridgen did that. But... I do, I do agree, Andrew. I was talking to Mark the other day on this very show and he felt, you know, Labour was still unelectable. But I looked at those polls from the red wall, blue wall, and there does seem to be a real anger there about Partygate. Mm. I disagree because my anger... I don't disagree, but my anger is always about lockdowns themselves rather than the subsequent hypocrisy of Partygate while it is annoying. Because I never thought the elites were following any of this rubbish from the start anyway. You didn't, but you but, were uh, in a minority. A lot of people right, are angry. But other people are angry about it and they, the hypocrisy. And, of course, even though Starmer's done it, even though they've all basically been doing it, it's obviously going to fall on this government because they're the ones in chat. Of course. Well, let's move on now to Tuesday's Times again. And it's time to reverse the brain drain. The UK
0: apparently will take the world's best students instead of them nicking ours. Diane, that sounds all right.
2: Oh, it does sound interesting, doesn't it? I mean, it's part of Pretty Patel's brand new travel service. So new graduate work visa for world's brightest to come to UK... Pretty Patel, as we know, she loves moving people around the planet, wherever they're coming from, however they arrive. And uh, she's decided that the graduates from the top 50, top 50 overseas universities can apply to come to Britain. Well,
0: that doesn't sound too bad. You know, highly qualified, motivated, intelligent people. Bring it, them on board.
2: Yeah, it does sound great, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, there's going to be some funny little point system. You know, you get certain points for the way that you arrive and you have to pay... Um, I mean, what I find interesting is she, she wants to get the best and the brightest yes. right after they've left uni, right at the start of their careers. Now, for me, that was that's about a year of sobering up. Oh, so, yes, mm-hmm. after
0: university. Yeah, that, that's the worst time, really. They don't
2: they? have to come with a job already... Offered, but they they, they come across, they pay £715 for the visa itself. And bear in mind, we're we're quite a pricey place to live right now, especially with the price of pasta going up. So you've got to be quite a wealthy student, I'd say.
0: But, but this is an interesting story insofar as, you know, when we talk about Priti Patel and her migration policy, mm. there's a lot of people who fling around accusations. You know, they, they say her policy of uh, rehousing in Rwanda is racist. People, And that word, that R word is used all the time in, in this discussion. What's so wrong with a point system where effectively what you do is you assess uh, people who are coming in and you reward those who are the most qualified and, and, and the ones for whom who will benefit our, our economy the most? What's wrong with that? Now... Well, I'll come to you, Diane, first, and then...
2: Well, personally, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that because I myself have been in a Point Sister before because I emigrated to New Zealand. Right. So I had to prove to them that I was worthy enough to stay. And you that went I to was, New Zealand? Yeah, I, I lived there for four years. Oh, Voluntarily.
1: That's when you were still allowed in, Andrew.
0: I didn't know about this.
2: Oh, yes, yes. Okay, okay. And
0: so you had to go through points. Did they have a similar point system to Australia? Uh, Yes, yes.
2: And uh, even some of my qualifications weren't recognised. Ah. So um, I think it's just quite interesting because it means there's more sort of bribery factors for the people who make these lists. Right. So you have to get on, like, the Times Higher Education World University list. So I think the people who write that list are going to be taken to some pretty fancy lunches and things like that. I mean, isn't this, Nick?
0: You know, Mm. a lot of people accuse Pretty Patel of racism, even though she's from a a Ugandan Indian family. And here, clearly, she's inviting people in from abroad. It it becomes a very shallow accusation, ultimately, doesn't it? Uh,
1: The racism thing is too silly for me to even address. It's nonsense. I, I do find it more interesting the range drain element, the ethical question that actually Diana Abbott raised, of, if you're taking the best people from developing countries, is there an ethical question there? In terms of Purely in terms of our interests, I see nothing wrong with the point system. My only cr- criticism of this is you'll get a two-year work visa with a Bachelor or Masters, mm. and if you have a PhD you'll get a three-year visa. But my question is what are these PhDs in? Because some, are, uh, some PhDs are more um, useful. Than those. What was your PhD in, Andrew, for example? English Renaissance Poetry. What are you saying? Is that, <laughs> is that, is that, is that not valuable no, no, You've made you made it sound good, but I wanted to know the full title. That we're... <laughs> you wanted to know the full title yeah, of my doctoral yeah. thesis? Because when you told me it last time, it, it was. was quite fun. uh
0: Outsider Epistemology Discourses of Homophilia in the Work of William Shakespeare, Sir Philip Sidney, and Richard Barnfield.
1: So with that. You would get a three-year visa. Now it's up How for the do you viewers. think I got this job? When they were advertising for this job, they wanted an expert in Renaissance poetry. What do you think? Exactly. So,
2: Are you a doctor? Well, technically, but Dr Doyle. Vital.
0: If you want me to start demanding that you call me Dr. Doyle, we'll do that. He does but I think with that's me. humiliating. So let's Is not close the door. <laughs> studio? Yes. I'm always nervous about that, though, because if someone a calls a doctor, one. <laughs> I can just help you scan a sonnet. I can't right. help you with if you have a heart attack. Yeah, or something you can like
1: that. check their iambic pentameter. I, I can do that. I know my scansion. Look.
0: <laughs> the thing about this is, though, you know, it is a good thing in a sense to bring the best people over, isn't it? I mean, let's just be fair. That's a good, that's a good thing, right?
2: It is a good thing. And it's, it's a great thing to open the country to opportunities and they can come over and then they can actually transfer their visa into something more long term yes. if they choose to stay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But what's your view and on draining people, the brain drain, Andy, because you're a big lefty, what's, what's your view on taking them from other countries?
0: Well, no, it's not about taking people from other countries. It's about giving people the opportunity to come here if they want to come here. And your fear that they're going to come over here and do sort of frivolous degrees in dance theory <laughs> or anything like that isn't founded because those are kind of very upper middle class uh, bourgeois yes. local right. theories. These I mean, will be engineers you know, and these, stuff. These are, these are people who... They won't be like you. They won't worry. be like me. <laughs> <laughs> so Tuesday's Guardian have more on the fallout from Saturday's Champions League Final. sounds like the French government are backtracking on whose fault it was.
1: Nick, you have like, these. Yes, it can't be the French's fault. So fake tickets <laughs> on an industrial scale... We like to blame them, though, don't we? <laughs> well, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun in this piece, Now I'm going to do that right now. But it, they're blaming fake tickets on an industrial scale. So Francis, uh, the, the interior minister is saying he regrets the disorganised welcome which is sort of what you give Jehovah's Witnesses at your door. It's a (laughs) disorganised welcome. 70%, roughly, of the tickets presented by Liverpool fans were fake. Some of them apparently just had football ticket written in crayon. Uh, That's (laughs) that's not true. I added that uh, for for Bantz. But it is interesting that um, (laughs) it it doesn't... 90% it, all, 90% of the Real Madrid fans got into their seat on time, whereas 50% of Liverpool fans didn't. And it, it is a bit dodgy. It doesn't help towards Liverpool's victim mentality that they already have, that actually they were treated quite badly here. You know what I mean? Because they, they always have a bit of a victim mentality anyway. It's a bit like me finding out Andrew Doyle actually is plotting against me. You know, it, it's the last thing you want. So, so this was... Yeah, so basically it was a complete mess. And I love this bit. And I'm only joking, Liverpool. I love the people of Liverpool. France had only three months to prepare for the game. I mean, that's quite a long time, is it? We get a couple of hours before this show, three months to prepare a football game in a football stadium. I mean, that's not... They could easily lose a war in that time, the French. Do you know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's a long time. What do you think about this, Diane? Any I think it's
2: horrendous mismanagement mm. by the French police. The way that they blockaded the concourse, the reason why those places are designed with massive, huge concourses is to deal with the number of fans. The rail strike didn't help. The French have seriously messed this up. They're blaming the Liverpool fans. And the way that they fired tear gas, tear gas into the Liverpool fans to maintain the impermeability of the stadium, the stadium which had already been breached, is just appalling. They went in there looking for a fight.
0: It's always so extreme. That is terrible, that bit.
1: I miss that bit. Do you know why it is? It's because of the shape of the ball. It's what?
2: It's because of the shape of the ball, because the ball is a spherical object. So the logic is, when you kick the ball, it goes exactly where you want it to go. Yes. In rugby, the ball can bounce wherever, which is why there is no tension and it dissipates.
0: Yes, but I find that... That's why I can't watch rugby either. It's too unpredictable. Yeah. It it can go absolutely anywhere. So you
2: can't get angry about it?
0: No, that's true. I don't get angry about it. I'm indifferent. Uh, That's (laughs) it for part one. Coming up in part two, Angry Scots, Bigoted Scots and Donald Trump Jr. See you in 120 seconds. Hmm. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Andrew Doyle, and Diane Spencer and Nick Dixon. Let's get straight into it. And Diane the Express reporting that not everyone wants to party this Jubilee weekend. Who specifically might they be talking about there?
2: They're talking about our friends who live up north, up, 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 up north in the attic. Don't give an F about Jubilee calls the Scottish Republic grow ahead of bank holiday.
0: Yes. I mean, there's a lot of tweets that have been quoted in this article of people showing how little they care about the Jubilee by endlessly tweeting about it. There's a lot of that, <laughs> isn't there? I mean, what do you make of it? Do you think the, this is this, this kind of antagon- needlessly antagonistic? What do you think?
2: I think this is very unfair. They've they've had, The Scottish people, they, they seem to be combining the whole... Um, Oh, Scottish Republic, Scottish independence, which is funny considering the SNP said that if they had independence, they'd retain the the monarchy, which makes no sense to me. But the Scottish already have... They have bagpipes. They have ceremony. They have kilts of many colours. We have one flag which we just want to put everywhere because I'm not including Cornwall and their wish to secede. And... It's just so fun to have flags everywhere and celebrate something. Do you share this, Nick. You're
0: part mm-hmm. Scottish, aren't you? For no the purposes I was... of this section. <laughs> just, just so we can say we've got balance.
1: Well, I have Scottish cousins, and I'm from, I'm from the border, Cumbria, obviously. So I'd have probably been historically fighting them in sort of bloody battles. But anyway, <laughs> this is um, you wouldn't. This is, I told. I totes would. <laughs> this is why you haven't seen my deadlift. This is why England. <sighs> should secede. I mean, as Peter Hitchens said, they're always blaming us. Everyone hates us for being the best. I suffer this in my daily life, but England, they hate us. I mean, I didn't care about the Jubilee until this story. Now I massively care about it in defence of the realm, because this this idea... (laughs) Nick Dixon, Defender of the Realm. Thank you. I think that should be your title. (laughs) Someone's tweeted here like the more I'm reminded of how many people can barely feed, clothe or warm themselves, the more I think the Scottish Republic is the best future. I mean, but you get, they get all their money from us anyway, so that doesn't even add up. We economically well, let's keep continue. Scotland afloat. Let's continue with this theme and go to
0: Tuesday's Telegraph now, which reports that the most persecuted group of people ever are finally going to receive protection. This is the English, well, according to this article. But this is the, the uh, Anglophobia, right?
1: Anglophobia in Scotland is on the rise. Can this be right? Exactly. Anglophobia banned on the new Scottish independence code of conduct because it comes from Stuart Hosey, the senior uh, SNP MP. And he suggested that uh, you shouldn't be allowed to speak ill of England of the English, amid fears Anglophobia could wreck their dreams of separation. So what this is, they're not doing it for, yeah. for, for genuine reasons. It's pretending to not hate the English to get a better chance of separating from us. It's kind of like when the archetypal uh, woman in a movie pretends to suddenly be really into the bad guy so she can get away. So that- this is just subterfuge. I mean, isn't Anglophobia sort of at the heart of the
0: movement? I mean, and isn't it, you know, is Anglophobia really a thing? Is it hatred of the English? Isn't it a bit more
1: light-hearted than that?
2: No, not really. Not? Have you no. not been
1: up... I remember being up in... I mean, I don't want to diss the Scots. As I said, I've got a Scottish family. I remember being up in the uh, stand comedy club during the height of the kind of referendum time. Yeah. Yes. And it was, it was edgy. If you, you didn't want to say anything too English. Really? You didn't even really want to open your mouth and it come out as all English because yeah. it was a genuine menace. See, this
0: is funny. So I remember being in Wales once and looking through a bargain basement uh, video. De- this is back in the day, videos, actual VHS. And one of the videos was a video of Welsh rugby victories against the English. It was a compilation <laughs> of the best bits when Wales had trounced England. And I thought, that's quite funny. But, that's quite sweet. But not endearing. to them. That's serious no, to them. That didn't strike me as serious. That struck me as endearing and quite nice. Is it not the similar kind of rivalry? No, no Diane, it's you don't agree.
2: really not. Because uh, just like Nick was, at the height of the referendum, I was also in Scotland and there were points where I was stood at a bus stop and everybody was talking about it all the time. Yes. And the way that I look, I just shut up, because I look very Scottish, and so I could get away with people sort of just chatting around me, and they were properly slagging off the English. And the reason why they're doing this is because they want to capture all the moderate voters that are humming and harring. Yeah,
0: this is the key thing, isn't it? That that they're suggesting that overt Anglophobia will actually be detrimental to the independence campaign. Yeah, Which I suppose strategically that's probably the case. Or it might help if there is this kind of venom that you're describing that runs through No, but venom is
2: not palatable and it doesn't speak of a government. It doesn't speak of moving forward as a civilised society. Even if you can control your venom and keep it...
0: The little I know about the Scots is they're not one to control their venom, right? So I don't think the the intemperate language is going to change, because let's face it, their temperate language sounds pretty pretty nasty sometimes, doesn't it? So let's just, you know...
1: no, I was just think Diane could have easily fit in. Like you said, did you sort of start trying to be Scottish, like I? Oh, I yeah, can't stand them. So, like, like you know, joining in. Oh, did you actually become fully undercover? Yeah, you could, have been, you could have gone full undercover and done a Scottish accent. Well, the then, you in. know,
2: I have been contacted by MI6 on a couple yeah, of occasions. I
1: can well believe it. Yep. I'm not trying to diss, I think we were a bit harsh on Scotland there. Obviously, not, lot, I love Scotland. A lot of Scottish people don't feel like that. They do. A lot of them like are very only, okay. Well, they want to continue they, the union. They did yeah, vote they for it. They voted to continue. But the it's union, a certain so... small nasty group, and what they're saying here is pretend not to be nasty I'm yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. OK, well, let's move on to the sun now. This is a rather sad story, unfortunately, about the football legend Andy Gorham. Are you a fan, Diane?
2: Um, well, Of no. football? No. I am a fan of football, but not a Rangers fan. Okay. But I can still appreciate what has happened here. Yeah. So Rangers legend Andy Gorham has six months left to live after a devastated cancer diagnosis. No diagnosis. So what has happened is that um, the gentleman in question discovered that he had problems uh, swallowing, he had problems eating food. And what I find sort of endearing about this story is we all know uh, somebody who is elderly, who we love very much, who is stubborn. And you say, look, if you're having this trouble... Go to the doctor, and yes. they go. No, I'll be fine. I'll just walk it off. It's just my leg that's dropped off. It's all right. It's fine. And you go. No, I think it's a bit more serious than yes, that. Yes, of course. Uh, but when he finally did go, uh, he um, he had been through a terrible time. Like it took him two weeks to see his GP, mm. um, and then he'd lost four. He'd also lost four stone in four yes, weeks. Yes, he
0: was clearly ill. I mean, the, the, clearly very. The, Ill. the key thing about this, of course, is he has said he wants to forego chemotherapy treatment because he would rather have the quality of life rather than
1: the extra 12 weeks that they estimated would give him so Nick, do you have any reflections no, on that? No, just just I remember Andy Gorham as a kid watching football, and it's just very, very sad. That's all yeah. I've got.
2: Well, he, yeah, he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, yes. and now he's. But he, I just hope he lives his life to the fullest that he can for the next six months because yeah. he might as well.
0: Absolutely, to the mm. times now, and it turns out nuclear waste might not actually be so wasteful after all,
1: right, Nick? Yeah, well, it's it's related to because it's nuclear waste could be used to target cancer cells. So uh, from power stations like Siz as well in Suffolk. And it's this is thing they've got called lead 212 that can be used as a targeted alpha therapy. So apparently the issue, is, the issue is that it can't decay too quickly. So you've got to have a balance between... Uh, if, it, if, if the radioactivity... If it, if it fades too slowly, as quickly, mm. you can't get it to be useful because it's already worn off. But if right. it's too slowly, it leaves a radioactive dose in the patient's body for too long. Now apparently this lead 212 hit what they're calling the sweet spot in between the two. And this is... This is from, uh, I just want to get his name right because it's very important, Hannigan. Uh, Mr Hannigan, because I can't find his first name. You but wanted to get it right, so you went, yes, Mr. So went with Mr Hannigan. Yes, so I went with his uh, surname. What I really like is that his team were in Preston as well, near where I'm from. I mean, this is the best thing to come out of Preston. I mean, it, it's the first good thing, but it's, it's amazing. It's, uh, so, yeah, this, this is a new treatment that could be uh, miraculous, and it's called yeah, LED well,
0: 212. Well, um. Excellent news. Uh, let's move on, though, to Tuesday's Daily Mail, which discusses the adage, like father, like son. Diane, you have the details.
2: Uh, yes, yeah, so Donald Trump Jr. has blamed crazy teachers and drug addict mother not guns for the Uvalde school massacre. Uh, school massacre sorry. Um, so uh, Donald Trump Jr. has gone into a right-wing social media group um, called Rumble and he has uh, reacted. You see, the yeah. mother of the shooter uh, said he had his reasons for doing what he did and please don't judge him.
0: Yes. So, I, I mean, I, I would suggest she's, you know, obviously she's grieving and she's she's got a vested interest in equally this. Equally
2: in trauma, yes. Yes, and yes.
0: um, You know, I mean, to find out that your son could be capable of such evil
2: as he's well. Shot and
0: shot his and grandmother he's in the
2: face yeah. and he's killed all these children. It. It,
0: I mean, it's, it's, un- un- it's unfathomable, actually, yes. isn't it? So, so her reaction, we wouldn't expect a sensible, level-headed reaction from her at the moment. But it's interesting, isn't it, that, that, that Trump, like so many others, I mean, whenever we have these shootings, people are always desperately trying to find someone to blame other than the person who did it, right? So we get this time and again, like with Christchurch, you had the massacre in Christchurch, and people were saying it was because of Chelsea Clinton or it was because of Jordan Peterson's book. Or, you know, we had the similar thing um, with the, the Anders Breivik, and people were saying it was because of Jeremy Clarkson was mentioned in... You know what I mean? Why, why mm-hmm. can't we focus on you know the people who did this. I mean, Donald Trump's blaming guns, but what about the person who fired the gun? No, no. Donald Trump is actually not blaming the guns. Donald Trump What's, who's he bl- He's blaming he the is mother. Blam-
2: no, he's blaming. Yes, he's blaming the guy. He's yeah. doing exactly what you just said.
0: No, he's he's saying the mother. He said actually the mother is the
2: problem. Yes. Well, he he was saying that um it's not just associate it, it's a sociopath that's wielding the gun. And he said that we need to fix our own stupidity, apathy, wokeness, laziness. That's the problem, But that's, no, that's also doing yeah. what
0: I'm describing. That's t- trying to blame other things, yeah. wokeness all the rest of it. It's not just saying sometimes there are psychopaths who do terrible things and they are to blame for their actions. Mm. Am I wrong about that, Nick? No,
1: but so Donald Jr. has been a little bit incoherent here, but he is on the right lines in terms of looking to the causes because because what happens is... People use this to push their gun control agenda, which I find crass. The idea is it's crass to make a pro-gun argument in the wake of these things, which actually crass to push your uh, anti-gun agenda, because that's what you thought anyway, and you're just using this to, to promote that. What I, what I mean by that is we have to look to the other factors. They nearly always lack father figures, these kids, The mother was a drug addict. This kid was extensively bullied, which doesn't mean what he did was right by any means.
0: There's a a difference between that and saying the mother is to blame.
2: Yes, but also, if he didn't have access to the guns, then Donald Trump Jr. is saying, oh, well, he would have taken it out, he would have had a machete, he would have had this, he would have had had that. But a machete is a close-range weapon. It's a lot easier to stop a machete. Mm -hmm. This kid had an AR-15, which automatically Uh, reloads. You
1: look at the Westminster van attacks here. We know that you can use... uh, any kind of weapon if you want to we look at America in the past it always had guns it didn't always have school shootings so they're a modern phenomenon Canada has 2 million guns why don't they have these so you do have to look at the societal reasons behind it rather than just simply say it's the guns that's all I'm saying and that, and that is important because there is a reason Americans have the Second Amendment and so we, you know, they of course want to defend it and, uh, Americans- but the
2: Second Amendment was made when people had a musket which they it took them like a minute to reload and now they still have the Second Amendment which is their right to bear arms but it means that anybody can get a, a gun that can fire like. It's, it's so a, it's a fine rounds.
0: line, isn't it, between between people who are p- politicizing this tragedy and weaponizing in order to push an agenda, and those who want to actually analyze and consider the circumstances and what we can do to prevent it in the future. Yeah. It's, it is difficult. Yeah. Can I just but-
1: say we don't know what the founding fathers had in mind? They were very smart people. They surely assumed technology would increase. But can I also just say, once you get rid of the guns, all that happens is you don't get rid of them. You just criminals will still have them. The government still has them, and celebrities still have them to use for things like security. So all that happens is you're taking away guns from ordinary people. Let's say a woman needs to defend herself but she doesn't have a gun anymore because you've, given, you, you've said, no, no more guns for you, but criminals will still have them, and celebrities who talk but about we, gun control will still have bouncers with guns hanging around, you know, private security. But when you say there's a problem when teenagers, school children can get hold of guns, that's a problem. It's not ideal. You need background checks. Yeah, perhaps there should be an age limit. I don't know enough about the, the age limits. There should be mental health checks and so on, but I just don't think it works. We always have this outcry. We don't understand it in Europe, and we, and we always go, well, we should ban all the guns. But it's just not that
0: simple. OK, well, we've run out of time there. That's the end of part two. Join us for the final section where we discuss kids eating bugs, a woman whose new partner is an aeroplane. I'm not kidding. And we learn some beauty secrets from the Queen. See you in a minute. Welcome back to the home stretch of Headliners, where with Diane Spencer and Nick Dixon, it's about to get a little weird. Let's start with the Metro. <laughs> this has a story,
1: it makes me quite glad I'm a vegetarian. Yes, absolutely. And can I just quickly say it was Nick Hannigan before when I forgot the guy's name who's come up with the cancer treatment. It's my own name. That's what makes it even stupider. (laughs) Shout out to Nick Hannigan. So, yeah, the Metro has kids to explore eating bugs to gauge appetite for alternative protein. This is where it begins. It's the WEF. You will own nothing and you'll be happy and you'll eat bugs. It's just a so apparently they're very
0: good for you, right? And, mm-hmm. and I am a vegetarian, so I wouldn't do this. In it. But even if I weren't a vegetarian, I'm not going to be eating bugs. Are you right?
1: part of the World Economic Forum, Andrew? That's what they'll be saying on Twitter. They're already Typical saying Typical Doyle. See, if people don't know what I'm talking about, the World Economic Forum is always pushing these crazy ideas like you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, you'll live in a cold room eating bugs and so on. I'm paraphrasing. But the own nothing and be happy was one of their videos. And lockdowns are good is one of the, another thing they said. This is all part of that. Now, this is, it's, it's, it's in Wales, so it hasn't come to England yet, but it's four primary schools in Wales. And they, they've left out in this article to try and make it sound less gross that it's actually crickets, grasshoppers, silkworms, mealworms, uh. locusts, if it wasn't uh. biblical enough for you... And, uh, and and this is it, I, and look it's spelled in as a bad enough can i but exactly. if you're eating mealworm and can, can i just quickly say they're trying to justify it in this article which is in the meta they're going across europe eating alternative sources of protein like insects is already the norm that's why we left bro Do you know what i mean and then <laughs> okay so just the, <laughs> one more one more thing edible insects are, n- are not solely widely in the uk but they form part of the diet of around 2 billion people worldwide yeah it's called the third world also how many birds were, 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 were brought in that minute, study? wait a minute, wait a minute. That's unfair. Really.
0: That's unfair. No, we don't want to so, eat bugs no, is what I'm saying. saying. Some, right, some uh, uh, countries which are very wealthy eat bugs. They're considered a delicacy. A lot of people do eat... I wouldn't eat them, right, Nick? But I just think the fact that you're dismissing the, the eating of bugs. What's the difference, really, between eating a bug and eating a cow? It's just a bigger animal. Well, what? You no, know, Diane?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, kids as well. I think it's kind of funny that they're making kids do it. They're supposed to. They're experimenting
0: to, like, on kids first.
2: They are. They're supposed to read the hungry caterpillar, not eat it.
0: Thank you. <laughs> do you know what though? I mean, I, I don't think it's that bad. I wouldn't personally do it, but I, I think other people should. But here's. Because it's, yeah, really, it's, but because it's probably It's probably be better for the world. It's good for the environment. It's good for individuals. I wouldn't do it. But I think they should do it. And also, by the way, apparently according to this article, we're always doing it. We're doing it anyway. Don't, uh, don't yeah, no, wait. I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. La, In la, every 100 gram bar of chocolate, no. there are
1: at least 30 pieces of insect already. You're already eating it. That's the propaganda, Andrew. You're <laughs> talking about a choice. What's going to happen though is you won't have the choice. You'll start off. Oh, there's an option. Oh, do you want a grasshopper? It's just an option. We're just feeding it to your kids. Nothing sinister. A Few years down the line, you won't be allowed steak. I know you're a vegetarian anyway. But you won't be allowed me. All you'll be allowed is a grasshopper or Bill Gates's synthetic. Meat. So, Nick Dixon there with his usual conspiratorial flair. <laughs> Let's move on to Tuesday's
0: Times with the sad news that the great British tradition of children trying to sneak into 15 films looks like it's going to come to an end. Diane, I'm gutted about this because, you know, when I was 15, my first 15 was Terminator 2 <gasps> and I got in at the age of 11 or 12 and I was... Ah, it was wonderful. Yes! It's not going to happen now, apparently.
2: Which is really sad, yeah. and like so, Terminator Two is an, an epic film because it has uh, Sarah Connor in it. It does, and yeah. she was one of my heroines growing up, so I'm so pleased. And that ironically,
1: film. it's about time travel. You travelled forward about seven years to get in. I did indeed. Ah, very yeah, good. Very good. So, let's let's talk clever. about the headline. Let's talk about the story.
2: So cinemas are using an app to check children are really old enough uh, and it's to stop s- them sneaking into X-rated movies. I mean, I'm not sure how many X-rated movies... We don't, don't do that. We haven't
0: done that since the 80s, have no, we? No, I don't think so. I X-rating mean, thing?
2: If children are sneaking into sort of... Isn't that an explicit film, an X-rated Well, film? I mean, it might
0: be things like horror films. I mean, I, I remember also sneaking into Natural Born Killers, the Oliver Stone film, oh before word. I was 18. And well, it's
2: curiosity, isn't it's, it's it? And you want good, to yeah. see something thrilling and exciting but so basically this is um rather than using a disguise or or like you know you know how they sort of use a stick sometimes and they go if you if you're not taller than the stick yes you can't get it that's
0: a fairground ride isn't it normally
2: uh, no, they do it on all sorts They've of things. They do it on a grid walk uh, when mean. you go to the BTCC. So the technology is being tested uh, by the Home Office uh, initially. Um, there's a special app called Yoti, or Yoti, and it's to prevent children from buying alcohol in the supermarkets. Um,
0: that makes more sense to me, but th- this is a kind of harmless transgression. Are we, Nick, are we not just taking the fun out of childhood here?
1: Of course we are. You should be allowed to sneak into a movie. But also, again, I hate to be accused of... I'm going to get confused... Of... Conspiracy theories again. Well, that's but your thing. It says the government has also approved the use of the digital ID to enable young people to access and withdraw money from their child trust funds when they're 18. I mean, how convenient. It's just like the bugs. It's getting kids used to digital ID, cashless society, eating bugs. Is that not just the advance of technology? Well, that's what your cronies at the WAF will say, yeah. <laughs> Klaus Schwab. Uh,
0: yeah, I owe him a phone call, actually. As anyway, Doyle. Tuesday's Daily Mail proves that if anyone wants to buy my book and not read it, it's still... it's. It'll still make you a better person. Now, I think this is a really interesting article, Nick. Do you want to tell us what's happening? It very
1: much is, Andrew. That's why it's on our interesting show. It's, are you guilty of sundoku, the Japanese term for buying books and never reading them? Now, as you all know, Andrew Schopenhauer famously said, buying books would be a good thing if one could also buy the time to read them, which is a wonderful quote, but you, you can't. So lots of people are just buying the books, either to have on their shelves in a kind of annoying aesthetic thing, or they intend to read them, they believe they're going to read them, and then they dope, basically.
2: Isn't this due to the rise of Zoom, though? And so pe- people curate their backgrounds on they Zoom. They do. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad even won a golf trophy at his local golf club, and my mum pu- purposefully put it on the bookshelf, and she said, well, this is what they all do on the Zoom." Yeah, to- th-
0: there was even a Twitter account that was mocking celebrities for whenever they were having these Zoom interviews on TV. They, were, they had these books, all these books in the background which they probably hadn't read. But I actually think it's really good. I think, I think this is an interesting thing, because I, I don't buy a book unless I I know I'm going to read it. And if I have a book on my shelf for too long and I haven't read it, I get rid of it. I just don't, I, I think it's, but on the other hand, it's very good to have lots of books in the house. It's very good for kids because children explore and they, they they find ideas that way. And I think that's wonderful. And I do think aesthetically, a room full of books looks great.
1: It's also very good for bookshops. I used to work in the Great Foils bookshop and other bookshops, and it, it's great because it will keep them in business. But I do, you know, I've actually read too many books. I'm the opposite. I've read all my books, I've read too many. It was a bit of a waste of time. The only thing is, it's, it's meant my vocabulary is the good. Of everyone I know, but yeah. other than that, that's it, why you're it, quoting Schopenhauer on exactly. The it, it, I, I do sometimes wonder. I've read so many, so many fiction books. Was it a waste of time? I'm not totally sure. You've probably read quite a few books. Andrew. I've read a few books. What are you reading at the moment? Uh, no, I've stopped. Now I've stopped reading. You've stopped reading. I just read. I just read news articles for shows like this. I watch YouTube, and I've completely stopped reading. I listen to Audible. I can't even read anymore. I just listen to Audible. <laughs> well, that's not good, is it? That's, that's no. I think that's a diva. But I've read them all already. No,
2: I, I don't think it's such a bad thing. I have my, my bookshelf is all ordered in terms of categories. So I have all my screenwriting books. I have all my um, social science books. I have like I have a lot of. Um... This
1: doesn't surprise me that your bookshelf is like really nerdly organized. <laughs> Mine's the same. Mine's the same. <laughs> no, it's not that much of a surprise. Look, we must move on. Art historians
0: have debated for centuries why the Mona Lisa is smiling. The Telegraph has a story that it might be because she likes cake. What do you think, (gasps) Diane?
2: So the Mona Lisa has survived a cake attack by an environmental (laughs) activist disguised as a granny.
0: This is becoming so common, this kind of attack. It's out of control.
2: It's ridiculous. It's such a trend. So um, this... uh, Person pretended to be disabled, wearing a black wig and a, a granny. And, of course, the Mona Lisa, right, this protest was apparently about, um, oh, gosh, well, about the incoherent. state of the planet. Yes. It's a very incoherent. It's like a Lady Gaga version of a protest. Yeah. And this person, I'm, I'm, he went and basically stood up and threw a lump of cake at the Mona Lisa, which thankfully was behind a glass screen, and yeah. he started sprinkling rose petals everywhere. I hear next week he's going to throw jelly at the pyramids. Um, well, this just sounds like an avant-garde
0: performance piece. You know, so, we can actually see it there now. This, oh, the,
2: my
1: the cakes mid- But the thing about this It's a this bit is like is Jack Nicholson's Joker in the first Batman movie, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yes, when he goes around to the yeah. Prince soundtrack. <laughs> That's and the only thing, thing yeah. I like about it. it so, like I mean, a- what I find... I, I hate the idea of desecrating
0: art and the people who do it. I find it uh, like complete philistinism. Absolutely. And, but this is, you know, this you could never damage the Mona Lisa. It's behind this thick, bulletproof glass. What I hate about going to the Louvre and seeing that painting is you can't see the painting because it's surrounded by people taking photographs of it on their mobile phones. It's really... Really, really annoying. I think yeah. they should just clear those people out and let proper art lovers in. Sorry, that's my rant. No, and right. Maybe that's what the tape guy was, was protesting. Also, about.
1: not only was this guy French, no. and he was a cl- classic climate activist with a. I'm not saying they're all dumb, but he said, Think about the earth. There are people destroying the earth. That's why I did it. Think about the planet. Well, I
0: suppose sp- well, well, we are talking about it, aren't we? We are repeating yeah, but what's the line between you say that and throwing
1: cake at a painting. It's Mona got nothing Lisa, to do with it.
2: It does. The Mona Lisa is a painting of a woman who never ever recycled.
1: Okay, could be that.
0: <laughs> Diane to the rescue. <laughs> okay, so is cake one of the reasons why the Queen is looking so good, Nick. What does Tuesday's Times have to say about this?
1: It's the real reason why the Queen has such beautiful skin at 96. Now, we might speculate, doesn't have a real job, stays indoors a lot, can afford any skin product. I would <laughs> never say that because we're on GB and we love the Queen. But, of course, actually, I'm not actually that far off because... Although it does prove, by the way, she's not a lizard because they have famously leathery skin, so that's good to get although out Although it away. is
0: durable, the lizard skin.
1: OK, so it's it back is. on the table yeah. uh, from Dr <laughs> <laughs> Doyle. But I'm actually not far off because some of the reasons they cite... The fresh Balmoral air gives good glow, so you're out in a garden rather than a dehydrating office. Her skin is protected with a proper base. They don't mean a military base, so that's also true. They <laughs> mean a, a foundation. Uh, she shields herself from the sun. She's not too stressed because of the whole, you know, being really rich and the queen thing. And um, her makeup apparently uh, helps. And this one is a bit tenuous. She values family above all else. Didn't quite get that one. Can I it, tell it, you, this story
2: is. A, this story. Only goes to prove that no matter how powerful you are, you are going to be judged on how you look as a woman. Because she is the Queen of England, and we're talking about her skin. They're being quite, And it makes me absolutely livid. They're being they quite think complimentary, that, though, no, aren't they? No, yes, but it's patronising. Is it a man? Is it a man or a woman a who's done this? Is it a man or a woman? She's a queen. It shouldn't queen matter what she looks like.
0: I mean, the thing about this is, though, is it... I mean, look, She's but I don't. Queen of skincare. <laughs> I don't know if it, no. You're right. You're absolutely right. It doesn't matter what she looks like. I agree with you. Do you but know
2: what? Also... A couple of years ago, if she was the wrong queen, her head would have been in a basket. Oh, she makes this basket it so looks so it better young now. and fresh. Does my basket make me look fat? I mean,
0: this is... So a, is that, you think that's an improvement, This though, is Diane? a better scenario. But isn't it just, you know... Isn't it just, like, oh, is anyone surprised that very, very wealthy people look good? I'm not surprised at all. No. Anyway, let's move on now to a story about Frank Skinner in Tuesday's Times.
2: So, this is fun. So, um... And this is... So, Frank Skinner said, I was a racist, sexist, homophobe, Frank Skinner tells Festival. I said that twice because I don't want anybody cutting that out. No. And making it sound like I'm Also, he
0: specifically that. said the past... Tense. He was. He was. When he was. When he was growing up in the 60s and 70s in the West Midlands. Well, I'd be surprised if he wasn't. You know, this is like times have changed, you know, the, is that not right? We've moved on. People yeah. no longer use casually homophobic language.
2: We, which is good and uh, this was said at the Hay uh, hey Festival and um, I think it was because I don't know, hey, I used to be a racist, hey! Well, I mean
0: they were talking about uh, progress, weren't they? And he was talking about his children how he thinks the future is going to be so much better because the children are so much more tolerant and all the rest of it. And Stephen Fry was there saying yeah. he thinks the country isn't at all tolerant and I'm, I can't help thinking where, where is more tolerant than the UK? I can't well, think of a yeah, I'm kind
2: of calling this old white men get things off their chests.
1: But there were women but present, but
2: Diane. The, the no, I'm, I'm just saying this article is just highlighting these two dudes. Okay. Can I say
1: the bit that really annoyed me? Go on, Nick. It was not the Frank Skinner bit, which was whatever. It was Stephen Fry saying, our world as white people is such a blissfully easy swim. Yes, if you're really posh. Yeah. My, my grandparents That's grew up in room. abject poverty in this country, like Dickensian-level poverty. By the way, Douglas Murray points out in his recent book, a Lancashire factory worker, where half my family are from, had, had, at the time of the Industrial Revolution, half the life expectancy of a slave. So it wasn't great times for all white people, no. but you get posh white people saying this and throwing us all under the bus, yeah, and I can't d- stand it. You don't
0: normally get working-class white people saying how great it is to be white, but Let's just move on because we haven't got much time. This is a Tuesday's Mirror now with a woman who has a particular taste in men. Not even men, Nick.
1: I mean, amazing, is I don't, this is not the Daily Star. Women, se- woman sexually attracted to objects announces she's in a relationship with a plane. This is Sarah Rodo, 23, who I, identifies as objectum sexual, which means she's attracted to inanimate objects. And she feels an overwhelming love towards the passenger plane that she now refers to as her boyfriend. What is this all about? All she's of the, from Germany. She's describing herself said, as objectum
0: there sexual. She is. Objectum sexual. You know, how many more sexualities are going to... Isn't it just someone who's desperate for attention?
1: She looks kind of like you'd expect. I mean, she's got the shaved head and the glasses. No offence. She's got 50, 50 replica models that sleep in her bed and they she don't wants sleep. to. She They're wants to marry merits. it. She wants to marry the plane, but German law won't allow it. She says, "My plane is called Dicky, and he takes up almost my entire bed." Can't comment me on that within broadcast regulations. No, you but, can't. But that's what. But she, who cares? I love this. She, she's also had two relationships with men, but she switched to play. How bad were these men
0: that switched <laughs> to model planes? Diane, who cares? If you want to sleep in with a model plane in your bed, who cares? Why is that newsworthy? I don't care what you do
2: i uh don't care, and I'm glad it's not legal for her to marry an object,
0: yeah, so you do care well a bit. said, well said, we c- quickly have time for Tuesday's mail on why you should always check your partner's pockets, diane. <laughs>
2: So a woman has claimed she found a receipt for Viagra in her partner's coat pocket, and um, she claimed he stayed out late with pals. And he said, "No, no, no. I, I bought the Viagra because I've got diabetes, and so I'm having trouble having erections." As you know, my darling, my angel, my muse, my flame. And, and she, she went, "Yeah, but you've not been using the Viagra with me."
0: So, so people so... are suggesting he's cheating. But to be fair, she went through his Apple Pay receipts and then found the receipt. Went through his coat pockets. Yeah. You know, if you don't want to know, there's no trust. Don't look. That's surely the, the, the moral always, of that story. That's for Andrew. It's always worked. <laughs> that's all we've got time for. So thank you to my guests, Nick Dixon and Diane Spencer. And please do join us again tomorrow. We'll have more wonderful stories. See you then. Farewell. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.